Hello and welcome to the Otter Podcast. I'm your host, Madison Page, and today we're going to talk about a cult so devoted to one fruit that many lost their lives to it. Today on the Otter Side, we are dining on coconuts, so let's go. Welcome, everyone. Today, I wanted to open the podcast by asking you if you could only pick one food to eat for the rest of your days, what would it be? Would you survive on sushi? Or maybe steak is more your flavor. Maybe you'd ride out the end of your days on a diet of hot Cheetos. You may say no one can live on one food forever, and you'd be right, but that doesn't stop people from trying. Today, we talk about the coconut cult and its zealous leader, August Engelhardt. August Engelhardt was born on November 27, 1987 in Nuremberg, Germany. August came into this world into a well-to-do family due to his father's ownership of a paint and varnish factory. Not much is known about his childhood, but we do know that he eventually attended Erlangen University and studied physics and chemistry. He would take this education and use it to get a job as a pharmacy assistant, where his deep interest in health would arise. While reading through pamphlets and textbooks, he came across the idea of Lebensreform. Now, Lebensreform is technically a generic German term for different social movement reforms that were started in the mid-19th century. Industrialism, materialism, and urbanization were all heavily criticized, and those interested were encouraged to find a way to live closer to nature. While various different movements have been lumped together under this term, for the most part, they all advocated for similar ideals, such as organic farming, vegetarian lifestyles, and a pseudoscientific form of medicine using natural or self-healing in lieu of doctors or conventional medicine. You can see some similarities between Lebensreform and the modern naturalistic movements. Ever since the dawn of the Industrial Age, there have been factions of people wanting to go back to the green-is-good method of living. Today we see this in the eruption of tiny homes, home gardening, and a healthy variety of organic pesticide-free foods filling the produce section of every local grocery. Even the box of dinosaur-shaped gummies that advertises no added colors or artificial flavors can probably trace a route back to movements like these. August found his stride in a book entitled Fruit and Bread, A Scientific Diet by Gustav Schleckesen. Gustav advocated that the natural and true diet of man was a frugivorous one. Frugivores, as the name implies, only consume fruit. Engelhart was fascinated by the book and decided to do more study into the matter. He eventually discovered and joined the Fountain of Youth cult in the Harz Mountains in Eckental in 1899. The cult was formed by brothers Adolf Eust and Rudolf Eust. The basic principles were vegetarianism and nudism. While at the cult, Engelhart learned of an even stricter form of frugivorism. Cocovorism. Cocovorism was developing in the USA at the time and advocated for the exclusive consumption of coconuts. Now what cocovorism is is called a mono diet. It's a diet where the only restriction is on the type of food eaten and not how much. Those who practice monodietism only eat one food or one type of food, but they can eat as much as they want of it. In this case, what Inglehart was reading about was a diet built on the blocks of eating nothing else but coconuts, the milk inside, and water. 
Monodietism is still practiced today with examples such as the milk diet, the carnivore diet, and the egg diet. Englehart's choice of the coconut just makes this worse. These days used in many cooking styles and available in many different forms such as flour and oil, it is considered a healthy treat for its high dietary fiber content, healthy omega-3 saturated fats, and low glycemic index. However, it is severely lacking in protein, vitamins A, K, B6, and B12, as well as calcium. For a man of Englehart's size, that being 5'5", he would have needed to consume over 14 coconuts a day just to get baseline adequate protein. While in the Fountain of Youth cult, Englehart tried to preach and sway others to follow his way of life, but was quickly ridiculed. This soured him to the cult and he left soon after, desiring a place where he could practice his more singular diet and be surrounded by like-minded people. This actually played out well for Englehart as nudism at the time was not only considered immoral, but also illegal, and the Fountain of Youth was shut down by authorities and Adolf Youth was jailed. Englehart served one year in the 14th Infantry Regiment, where he finally decided he had had enough of society's rigidity and wanted to get away from it all. At 24, his parents died and left him a substantial inheritance. In July 1902, he embarked on the mail steamer Empire to search out his paradise. His travels took him to German New Guinea in September of that year, where he found the island of Kakakon, also called Capacon. On it resided an unproductive coconut and banana plantation for sale. It was 185 acres large and cost him 41,000 marks. Outside of the plantation, the island was a nature preserve inhabited by the native residents. I'll put a picture of the island on the socials and it's beautiful. I imagine it was wonderful to live there. On Capricorn, Englehart was the only white man among 40 natives. He built a three-room hut which he filled with 1,200 books and started to live the life he dreamed. He spent days in nude bliss, sunbathing, farming his bananas and coconuts, and cultivating a perfect island paradise. He truly believed that the sun was the source of all life and that man fell victim to disease and strife because we had covered our bodies, preventing the energy from soaking in as it was meant to. The New York Times interviewed him and said, quote, he believed that the healing and curative powers of the sun would in time render a man so immune that no sickness could be overcome. In turn, he believed the coconut was the most perfect fruit because it grew the closest to the sun. It also resembled a human head in its round fuzziness. This played into a secondary belief he had that the brain was the most superior of organs as it was the closest to the sun. He believed that the brain didn't get any energy from the digestive tract which he believed to be dirty, but absorbed the sun's rays through the roots of the hair. So Englehart had everything he wanted. He lived on a lush tropical island. He farmed and sold coconuts. He walked around all day completely naked and curled into bed with his books at night. One would think this would make him ecstatic, but unfortunately he fell prey to that so common of human issues. August Englehart was lonely. He craved companionship from people who would believe his philosophies and live as he did. At the time, the best way to get people to join your cult was to print publications and pamphlets. This was exactly what Englehart did. He wrote about and promoted his ideals about the order of the sun. He talked of the wondrous coconut and the freedom of life his ideals offered. 
Even better, with his remaining inheritance, he promised to pay the way of those who wanted to join him. Englehart received some letters of interest back and invited the writers to come. This is how the cult started. Now, exact numbers and names have never fully been known. We do know that at its peak, it's believed to be around 30 members, and the cult was believed to be made up of only men. Although this is contradictory, as some later statements include women being present. However, what we do know is that Englehart, who had been previously laughed out of one cult, was building his own and was having moderate success. One of his first converts was nature writer August von Bethmann Eiselben. Now I have tried to find more information on Bethmann, but I couldn't find anything outside of this story of him. We do have a picture of both him, his fiance, and Engelhardt, which I will post, but otherwise what I do know about him is that he did join with Engelhardt and became a very loyal follower. He co-authored with him on the main book of the cult titled The Carefree Future. Bethman writes enthusiastically about life on Cavacon, with its non-shaving, nudist ways. However, this did not last, and he would start to have doubts. Because of these doubts is often blamed on arguments Englehart and Bethman had over a woman named Anne Schwab. Now, there are reports that Bethman met Anne on the island, and also reports that she came with him as his fiance. But what is known is that Englehart apparently was not happy about the union. It is remarked that originally Englehart intended for the island inhabitants to only be male. So maybe he felt his ideals threatened by the inclusion of this woman who may sway others to the ideas of getting their own spouse. Anne Schwab was apparently not as devoted as some others as she did encourage Bethman to consume other fruits following their wedding in 1906. Englehart saw this as a direct front to his beliefs and this seemed to further the fighting between the two. Disillusioned with the bickering, Bethman announced in June 1906 that he would be on the next steamer out. However, steamers were not yet charted and you had to catch them when they came. Unfortunately, they came too late and in September of that year, Bethman died, possibly of malaria. Englehart would place blame for his death directly on Anne's shoulders and she would leave the island two months later. When she returned to Germany, she openly criticized the cult, which had suffered a handful of deaths at this point due to malnutrition, malaria, and exposure. These complaints got to the ear of the governor, who put a halt to all immigration to the island. This either didn't work or was easy to get around, as soon after, Englehart gained two more followers, Heinrich Eukens and Max Lutzow. Eukens was a 24-year-old vegetarian student from Bavaria, and Lutzow was a conductor, violinist, and pianist with the well-known Lutzow Orchestra of Berlin. Lutzow loved Cabacon, and similar to Bethman, he raved about the community in his letters to magazines. These letters were very influential and led to the community reaching its peak of 30. However, while these new followers have been promised sunshine, freedom, and freshness, they were soon confronted with the realities of life in the coconut cult. Members lived exposed to a litany of diseases from mosquitoes and sandflies. Accidents, sunstroke, and malnutrition debilitated the numbers quickly. Eukins was one such victim of this, as he developed a cold and then a fever and was dead within six weeks of arriving on the island. Not only that, but members faced Englehart, who at this time had already started displaying signs of a degenerating mental illness and who was reported to be stubborn and confrontational to anyone who didn't follow his beliefs to a T. Lutzow, the golden boy, soon fell prey to this. 
Lutzow was a musician and had brought his music collection with him to the island. However, it seems that Lutzow and Inglehart had different tastes in music, and this caused tension between the two. Now, it is debated whether Lutzow was forced or if he willingly got on a small boat and was then stranded in a storm off the coast of the island for several days. When the storm abated, Lutzow was retrieved, but he had contracted a fever and perished soon after. This seemed to drive an exodus of members to leave. So if members were dying at high rates and the coconut was obviously proving not to be enough to keep everyone alive, how did August keep going? Well, we can attribute that to the intervention of others. He was not a healthy man. In 1904, Inglehart became ill, following the majority of his crops being wiped out first with a drought in 1903, and then with a storm in 1904. Bethman, yes, that Bethman, forced him to go to a hospital. He complained of itchiness, fatigue, and weakness, and he was covered in skin ulcers. He was treated, and he returned to his island. In 1905, he once again returned to the hospital and was once again nursed back to health. And he once again returned to his island. There seemed to be a pattern for him. He would go as long as he could until someone pushed him into receiving medical care. A German doctor noted only under the name Dempwolf, who treated him, reported that he was a paranoid wreck. This was clearly seen during the years between 1909 and 1913. Although followers continued to trickle in and out and die, he tried to found the Order of the Sun Capricorn, but was refused official status by the island's governor. He took to publishing more writings, hoping to sway more followers to his beliefs, but his writings were reported to be increasingly confusing as time went on. This, coupled with the amount of deaths, led the German government to put strict restrictions on those wanting to join the cult. Devotees must first put down 1,400 gold marks for the cost of hospital and the trip back, and all civil servants were told to warn every new settler of Inglehart's increasing insanity. The German colonial administration did everything in its power to stop new arrivals from moving to the island. Weirdly enough, the madman of Capricorn, described in magazine publications as a, quote, bearded bag of bones, became a spectacle, and people visited the island on vacation to get a picture with him. It is unknown at really any point exactly how many followers and occupants remained on the island, as the constant flux of visitors and the rate of deaths muddled things. One constant occupant seems to be Wilhelm Bradkey, a vegetarian who had come to Capricorn in March 1905. He assisted Inglehart in his plantation and became an assistant manager of the crop production. However, three months in, he was disillusioned with the lifestyle and took up work with a Rayloom plantation nearby. It seems he stayed on to help Inglehart, though, as he was put in charge of his coconut crops when Inglehart left to visit German New Guinea in 1909. He shut down his colony, named his plantation Inglehart & Company, and left the farming to Bradkey. In 1906, Bradkey had written in a vegetarian magazine about Inglehart's major leg wounds, his gout, his rash, fevers, and seizures. He desperately tried to get Inglehart to eat meat to improve his conditions. Quote, better to eat pork and live than to eat coconuts and die. He reported that Inglehart did eventually give in. Herein lies another example of the care of someone else keeping Inglehart alive. Bradkey seemed to be crucial to the island. He provided companionship to Inglehart, and by 1909, he had made the plantation profitable. 
This didn't last, however, because by 1913, Englehart was destitute, having lost nearly all his money on a magazine venture. Bradkey tried to charge an admission fee of 3,000 marks to all prospective members of the colony, and that ended the last of the trickle. This forced a separation between Englehart and Bradkey. He would continue having converts and plantation managers arrive, but none would stay. Just before the outbreak of World War I, Englehart was left all alone. Englehart was briefly captured during World War I after German New Guinea was taken on September 11, 1914. August was taken to an Australian camp in Rebul, where he was supposed to serve three weeks, but was instead released and returned to his island when his captors realized the extent of his mental illness. However, in the time he was held, Cabacon was overrun by Australian forces and his plantation was taken and sold. He continued to live on the island and kept to himself, studying the medicinal properties of local plants. He remained devoted to the sun and his coconut-only diet. He died in May 1919 in his mid-40s. His body was found on the 6th of May, and he was buried in Inabui Cemetery, Miyoko. However, there is no recorded burial site, and any marker placed has since been destroyed. There are different accounts of his death, including one where he was forced on a boat by missionaries, but fought ruthlessly and escaped to swim back to his island, only to die as he reached the beach. And another that alleged his body was found wrapped in a German flag. At the time of his death, he weighed only 66 pounds and had six pounds to his name. Englehart was a stubborn, decisive man, but he was also human. A more sympathetic side of him can be found in a journal of his that was retrieved from the island. In it, he tells of a deeply unhappy childhood and physical abuse from his parents. He documents his shyness and insecurities, including how he felt ugly and hopeless around women. He never asked his followers for money, like most cult leaders. He never made them give up all their possessions, and he never stopped them from leaving. To me, he just seems very lonely. I think a lot of us can relate to his want to find a home and a community where you feel like you belong. He didn't make the best decisions, and he brought others down with him, but I think he did start with the best intentions. Well, that's it for the Coconut Cults, our first episode on cults. August Englehart is probably one of the only cult leaders I'll ever actually feel bad for. What I want to know is what do you think? Do you think he was a manipulative tropical tyrant or a sad little lonely hermit? And what food do you think you could start a cult on? Let us know on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and leave a review. The Otter Podcast posts every other Thursday. If you have a suggestion for a subject in the podcast, you can email us at theotterpod at gmail.com. All music featured in this episode comes from Incomputech.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on The Otter Side.